morning, everyone. My name is Gene. I am one of the leaders here, and it's a delight to see you all. Let's pretend that you're married. If you are married, it should be pretty easy. If you're not, put yourself in that situation. So you love your spouse. You fell in love on a number of cute dates, writing letters to one another when you were far apart, getting to know one another's families, enjoying some things that you enjoy doing together and learning to love one another's differences, seeing your lives come together in marriage. Imagine that. Five years into marriage, though, you find out that the one you love has been cheating on you with another, another who was supposed to be a friend. And your spouse knows that this is wrong and is sorry. You two are able to move toward forgiveness and healing, but it's incredibly hard to work through that. The betrayal, the loss of trust, the lack of love. Despite the pain, you're able to work through it, and the years go by. Trust is slowly rebuilt. And the friend who wasn't a friend after all moves out of town, so that helps a little bit. Five years go by and you discover the same thing. Your spouse has been cheating on you again, this time with another. Knowing full well the pain it caused the first time and the cost it took to restore the relationship, your spouse did the same exact thing. Would you stick with this spouse? Would you continue to love them? What if they do the same exact thing every five years for the next 50 years of your marriage? This would be unbelievably hard. I'm not even married, and it's heart-wrenching to think about that. As we continue through Psalm 106, we're going to see something similar. As we prepare for our church series in Exodus, we're going to be in Psalm 106. So go ahead and turn there if you haven't already. It's on page 323. And we'll see that Israel isn't far off from my illustration. In fact, they are much worse. As we read this morning, you might find yourself saying, really, Israel? You're that unfaithful. What do you expect God will do in response to such unfaithfulness? I'll give you a hint. He doesn't respond in kind. We'll see how deep and rich and constant God's love is for us and for Israel when we're at our worst. Today we'll see that unfaithful sinners have hope in that though they often turn from God, God remembers His promise and chooses to show steadfast love. Unfaithful sinners have hope in that though they often turn from God, God remembers His promise and chooses to show steadfast love. If you have ever thought that your unfaithfulness makes you unfit for the kingdom of God, or if you have ever thought, I, I'm not unfaithful, this sermon is for you. Last week we saw that the primary actor in the psalm, Psalm 105, was God. This week we'll see that the primary actor is Israel and how unfaithful she is. I'm going to pray and then we can get started. Father, we bow before You this morning, the faithful God who loves the unfaithful bride. Uh, Would You teach us this morning 
more of our unfaithfulness. Show us by Your Spirit. Help us to repent and to trust in Your saving, gracious, steadfast love. Amen. So first, we're going to look at an earnest plea from among the unfaithful. Starting at verse 1. Praise the Lord. Oh, give thanks to the Lord, for He is good, for His steadfast love endures forever. Who can utter the mighty deeds of the Lord or declare all His praise? Blessed are they who observe justice, who do righteousness at all times. Remember me, O Lord, when You show favor to Your people. Help me when You save them, that I may look upon the prosperity of Your chosen ones, that I may rejoice in the gladness of Your nation, that I may glory with Your inheritance. Both we and our fathers have sinned. We have committed iniquity. We have done wickedness. In this introduction of sorts, we see a number of things. We see that praise the Lord marks the beginning of the psalm and the end of the psalm. It's the first thing in verse 1. The last thing in verse 48. We see a, uh, a command that other psalms trumpet. Oh, give thanks to the Lord, for He is good. Verse 1, for His steadfast love endures forever. And then in 2 and 3, we see uh, these phrases that seem to call for a perfect Savior. Who can utter the mighty deeds of the Lord? Blessed are they who observe justice, who do righteousness at all times. Doing righteousness at all times is a pretty high standard. And as we move to verse 4, the writer says, Remember me, O Lord. Help me when you save your people. And we'll see throughout the psalm that there's a shift in focus. The psalm continues to have the same author, but the psalm will shift focus. In the first six verses here, we see that the focus is on the writer. Then for the large middle chunk, the focus lifts off the writer and onto Israel as the writer tells the story of Israel. But then in 47, the focus will shift back to where it started, to the writer. Save us, O Lord our God, in 47. So it will go from third person narrative to first person. Save us. So most of the psalm will be about Israel and her story. But at the beginning and at the end here, we see first person pleas for mercy primary request of this writer is that he be remembered when God saves his people. The writer seems to be aware of his unworthiness. Verse 6, both we and our fathers have sinned. We have committed iniquity. We have done wickedness. But even knowing that, this writer still asks God to remember him when God saves his people. The writer has hope that even though they have sinned, God will save them. Unfaithful sinners have hope in that though they often turn from God, God remembers His promise and He chooses to show steadfast love. Let's look at types of unfaithfulness. Point two. And for this, we're going to read a large chunk, 7 through 43. Our fathers, when they were in Egypt, 
did not consider your wondrous works. They did not remember the abundance of your steadfast love, but rebelled by the sea at the Red Sea. Yet he saved them for his name's sake that he might make known his mighty power. He rebuked the Red Sea and it became dry and he led them through the deep as through a desert. So he saved them from the hand of the foe and redeemed them from the power of the enemy. And the waters covered their adversaries. Not one of them was left. Then they believed his words. They sang his praise. But they soon forgot his works. They did not wait for his counsel. But they had a wanton craving in the wilderness and put God to the test in the desert. He gave them what they asked, but sent a wasting disease among them. When men in the camp were jealous of Moses and Aaron, the Holy One of the Lord, the earth opened and swallowed up Dathan and covered the company of Abiram. Fire also broke out in their company. The flame burned up the wicked. They made a calf in Horeb and worshipped a metal image. They exchanged the glory of God for the image of an ox that eats grass. They forgot God, their Savior, who had done great things in Egypt, wondrous works in the land of Ham, and awesome deeds by the Red Sea. Therefore, he said he would destroy them, had not Moses, his chosen one, stood in the breach before him to turn away his wrath from destroying them. Then they despised the pleasant land. Having no faith in his promise, they murmured in their tents and did not obey the voice of the Lord. Therefore, he raised his hand and swore to them that he would make them fall in the wilderness and would make their offspring fall among the nations, scattering them among the lands. Then they yoked themselves to Baal, the Baal of Peor, and ate sacrifices offered to the dead. They provoked the Lord to anger with their deeds, and a plague broke out among them. Then Phineas stood up and intervened, and the plague was stayed, and that was counted to him as righteousness from generation to generation forever. They angered him at the waters of Meribah, and it went ill with Moses on their account, for they made his spirit bitter, and he spoke rashly with his lips. They did not destroy the peoples as the Lord commanded them, but they mixed with the nations and learned to do as they did. They served their idols, which became a snare to them. They sacrificed their sons and their daughters to the demons. They poured out innocent blood, the blood of their sons and daughters, whom they sacrificed to the idols of Canaan. And the land was polluted with blood. Thus they became unclean by their acts and played the whore in their deeds. Then the anger of the Lord was kindled against His people and He abhorred His heritage. He gave them into the hands of the nations so that those who hated them ruled over them. Their enemies oppressed them and they were brought into subjection under their power. Many times He delivered them, but they were rebellious in their purposes and were brought low through their iniquity. Nice cheerful section for... Sunday morning, we see the beginning of Israel's unfaithfulness, or the extent of it, rather. First type of unfaithfulness I want to focus on is faithless whining. And as we go through these and look at Israel, consider how you image Israel's unfaithfulness. So in the, the first part here, 7 through 12, Israel did not consider God's wondrous works. They did not remember His steadfast love, but they rebelled when Moses took them to the Red Sea. 
In case you don't know the story, the Israelites are freed from Egypt. They're led to the Red Sea by Moses. And it looks like there's nowhere to go. They come up to a sea. And the Egyptians are, are chasing them. They change their mind about letting them go. So there's a lot of pressure. And the Israelites cry out, Exodus 14, Moses, is it because there are no graves in Egypt that you have taken us away to die in the wilderness? What have you done in bringing us out of Egypt? For it would have been better for us to serve the Egyptians than to die in the wilderness. You can just hear the, the faithlessness, the, the doubt in their voices. One who faithlessly whines fails to remember who God is and what He has promised. And whining is the, the result. Israel rebels at the Red Sea, yet God in His mercy saves them. Why does He do this? Verse 8, for His name's sake. To what ends? Verse 8, that God might make known His mighty power. God dries up a path through the Red Sea for 600,000 people to cross through for the sake of His name and His power. When you read statements like this in the Bible, don't shy away. Don't get embarrassed. Don't twist them. God is doing this for His glory, and that is perfectly okay. Whom else would you rather God glorify than Himself? So God's doing this for His name's sake, but we'll also see later it's for our sake too. We see God saves people despite their faithless whining. Second type of unfaithfulness, forgetting God's goodness. We see in 13 through 15, it doesn't take Israel long to forget God. They soon forgot His works in 13. This is right after they were walked through a sea with water as a wall on their right and their left. They had a wanton craving in the wilderness. Put God to the test. This is probably referring to the fact that Israel no longer has food and they wish they had the food and drink that they once had in Egypt. So these people who have just been miraculously delivered by God, they forget God's goodness to them. Why do they do this? Maybe they take their eyes off God and they doubt that He'll be able to provide for them. Perhaps they forget that He has always provided for them in the past. And so they put God to the test. Can you relate to Israel? Let's look at the next type of unfaithfulness. Resisting God's appointed leaders. We see in 16 through 18 more unfaithfulness from Israel. We see jealousy in 16 and wickedness in 18. 16 alludes to something called Korah's rebellion in Numbers, where an Israelite named Korah, he speaks out against Moses and Aaron, whom God has raised up to lead Israel. And then Dathan and Abiram, who are mentioned here in this psalm, they are in cahoots with Korah. And they are fighting against God's appointed leader. They were jealous of Moses. And so God brought judgment on them by opening up the earth and swallowing them to death. 
Verse 18 alludes to God sending fire among Israel to burn those who offered unauthorized incense. So there's, there's unfaithfulness among Israel and God judges and kills some of them for their unfaithfulness. Why have these people resisted God's appointed leaders? Sometimes it's easy to be jealous of people whom God raises up if it's not you. The rebels don't like what God has done with Moses and Aaron, and so they choose to be jealous rather than to rejoice in what God is doing. Can you relate? Let's look at the next type. Exchanging God for something. In 19-23, through we see an allusion to the making of the golden calf, one of the most famous of unfaithful acts in Exodus 32. Verse 20 here says, they exchanged the glory of God for an ox that eats grass. This is one of those really Israel moments. They forget about the God who has delivered them, who worked all those plagues, who split the sea, and they, they forget God, their Savior. Why did they do this? Exodus 32.4 gives us a little bit of insight. It says, after they make the golden calf, the Israelites say, this calf, O Israel, is the God who delivered you from Egypt. Do you sometimes find it hard to worship God because He's invisible? Perhaps here, Israel wanted something tangible to worship, something they could sense, they could see, they could touch. For, for some reason or another, they chose to let God go and to make this image to worship. They thought worshiping this image would be better than worshiping the invisible God who actually delivered them. Can you relate to Israel wanting to worship something that you can see and touch? For me, it's exchanging the glory of God for food. I love the comfort that food gives me and I often eat way too much. And after I've eaten too much, I know I've sinned, I repent, and I, I say, I'm never going to do that again. And then a couple days go by, and I do the same exact thing. I exchange the glory of God, the invisible glory of God, for something I can touch and taste. It does not take me long to forget what God has done and to exchange His glory for something else. What are you tempted to exchange the glory of God for? And why? Do you think it will be better than worshiping the one true God? So, how does God respond to this golden calf? Not good. He gets angry. Verse 23, Therefore He said He would destroy them, His own people, had not Moses, His chosen one, stood in the breach before Him to turn away His wrath from destroying them. Exodus 32, Moses says, O Lord, why does Your wrath burn hot against Your people whom You have brought out of the land of Egypt with great power and with a mighty hand? Turn from Your burning anger and relent from this disaster against Your people. Remember, Isaac, Abraham, Israel, your servants, to whom you swore by your own self 
You said this, God, I will multiply your offspring as the stars of heaven, and I will give you the land. Moses puts himself in the breach, the dangerous breach between an amazing God and unfaithful people. And he persuades God from smashing his own people. And Moses is smart about it too. Not that it's about being a smart mediator, but Moses appeals to God's character and His promise. God, why should the Egyptians say He brought them out to kill them in the wilderness? God, remember Your promise that You made. Remember Isaac, Abraham, and Jacob. You swore it by Your own self. So, despite changing, exchanging God for an image of a calf, God relents. He listens to Moses and He's gracious with Israel. Let's look at the next type of unfaithfulness. Having no faith in God's promises. This is 24-27. through 27. We see more unfaithfulness from Israel. They had no faith in God's promise in 24. This is likely referring to the promise of the promised land, Canaan. And to Israel in Numbers 13, they're on the edge of the promised land and they send some spies to check out the promised land. There are huge, big guys there and they get scared. They say, oh no, we don't want to go. Even though God has commanded them to go into that land and that He would give them that land, they doubt His promise. They murmur in verse 25. They choose not to obey the Lord. And so God says, okay, you don't want to believe my promise? You're going to wander in the desert for 40 years. Why does Israel do this? Likely, they they had more faith in what their eyes saw than what God had said. Can you relate? Having more faith in what you can see than what God has promised. They refuse to go into the land because they doubt God's promise. Next type of unfaithfulness, deliberately disobeying God. 28-31, through we see more unfaithfulness. Here we see deliberate disobedience to God. Israel yokes themselves to another God and eats sacrifices offered to the dead. Nobody who's doing this in Israel is like, yeah, I think this is okay. This is unfaithfulness. They worship Baal of Peor. And this alludes to Numbers 25. Numbers 25, we see an Israelite man who chooses to go against God's command by hooking up with a Midianite woman. This makes God angry. He sends a plague among Israel in 29. And then this dude named Phineas, in verse 30, he has enough of Israel's unfaithfulness and he stands up, chases down the Israelite, chases down the Midianite, and spears them both. Shish kebabs style. So, what's the point? Israel continues to be unfaithful by deliberately disobeying God. 
Can you relate? When was the last time you knew you shouldn't do something, but you did it anyway? As I was preparing for this sermon, I thought about the character of Israel. And honestly, it reminded me of a uh, a couple kids in the back of a, a long car ride with their parents. And perhaps the children are a little bit more devious than normal, pretty much acting like little devils in the back. They make the, the car ride miserable for the parents and for everybody, but for some reason the parents choose to be gracious to them and love them and discipline them when necessary. That's what I thought about. For the next type of unfaithfulness, provoking anger, I'm going to skip over that for the sake of time. Let's look at doing what's right in your own eyes. 34 through 39, we move out of Exodus and we move into the book of Judges. And this is where the people do what's right in their own eyes. Can you relate? Saying, no, God, I'm not going to heed your warning. I'm going to do what I want anyway. That's what's going on in those verses. We see Israel did not destroy the people in Canaan like God had commanded. They lived with them. They married them. They worshiped their gods. And they sacrificed their own sons and daughters on the altars of foreign gods. They pour out innocent blood in 38. They make themselves unclean and play the whore in 39. These are detestable deeds by Israel. Lowest of the low, killing your own children. We should not look on Israel with pride, though. Think of your worst moment. Think of a time in your life that you look back on now and you're ashamed. Sometimes whenever I tell my, my story of coming to Christ, I, I talk about the emptiness I experienced in the party scene. One winter break, I went to Florida with my girlfriend at the time, and we basically had a condo with a bunch of other college students to do whatever we wanted for a couple of days. And I... That trip still haunts me. It, it haunts my soul as I think back on how I treated people, what I said to them, what I called them, what I chose to do. That was my low, my choosing to do what's right in my own eyes. What's yours? Maybe a time, think of a time when you were so... Nasty, so vile, so jealous, bitter, lewd, drunk, so fill in the blank. We are like Israel. Let's look at the last type of unfaithfulness. Repeating offenses. In 40 through 30, 43, the Lord abhors his heritage, he gives them over to the nations to be oppressed but He delivers them. A very repeated theme all throughout the book of Judges is this. Israel disobeys God. God allows a foreign nation to oppress them. Israel cries out, God, please deliver us. And then God does it. God raises up a judge to deliver His people. And consistent with that, we see verse 43 Many times He delivered them, but they were rebellious. 
It's this picture of repeating your offenses many times, choosing to do it again and again. And this is, is this not what we've seen all throughout Psalm 106? God delivers even though you'd swear this has got to be the last straw for Israel. Unfaithful sinners have hope in that though they often turn from God, God remembers His promise and chooses to show steadfast love. Let's look at the last point. How steadfast love chooses unfaithfulness. And for that, read with me 44 through the end. Nevertheless, He looked upon their distress when He heard their cry. For their sake, He remembered His covenant and relented according to the abundance of His steadfast love. He caused them to be pitied by all those who held them captive. Save us, O Lord our God, and gather us from among the nations that we may give thanks to Your holy name and glory in Your praise. Blessed be the Lord, the God of Israel from everlasting to everlasting. Feel free to join me on this last one. And let all the people say, Amen. Amen. Praise the Lord. So, that's a breath of fresh air. Verse 44 starts with a huge transition word. Nevertheless, nevertheless, God looked upon their distress when He heard their cry. For their sake, He remembered His covenant and relented according to His steadfast love. In spite of everything that has come before this, in spite of the unfaithfulness of Israel, the worshiping of other gods, the deliberate disobedience, the sacrificing of their own children, God chooses to look on them when they cry to Him. For their sake, He remembers His covenant promise and chooses to relent according to the amazing love He has for His people. His unfailing, steadfast, faithful love. We see that, well, we saw that God does this for His own glory in verse 8. We also see that He does it for the sake of Israel and for the sake of us. Verse 45, this is amazing love that God has toward unfaithful people. Love that almost seems foolish. He loves and He gets cheated on, yet He keeps pursuing His people and keeps saving them. Here's an application for you. Be flabbergasted that God has not left us, but He chooses to show steadfast love. When you and I, when we were at our low, when we were at our worst, God chose to deliver. Christ died. When we were at our worst, He chose to show steadfast love. Be flabbergasted that God loves unfaithful people. In closing, we see that 47 and 48, that shift in focus happens again. We, it goes from the storytelling third person back to the first person like it was in the beginning. Save us, O Lord our God, in 47. In these last two verses, the writer is hopeful that the Lord will save them. And why does he ask to be saved? That we may give thanks and that we may glory in Your praise, glory in Your steadfast love, saving us. 
The writer knows how unfaithful Israel has been throughout the whole psalm, and yet he appeals to God's steadfast love to be saved because he has faith that God is going to save with steadfast love. Unfaithful sinners have hope in that though they often turn from God, God remembers His promise and He chooses to show steadfast love. One final application for you and then we'll wrap up. Repent of your unfaithfulness. Though you and I do not bow down to golden calves or sacrifice our children on the altar, consider how how you are unfaithful to the Lord. I'm willing to bet that as we move through the text, uh, God brought something to your heart. Repent of that unfaithfulness. Confess it to God. Turn from the unfaithfulness and hope in God's steadfast love. And how has God foremost shown His steadfast love other than Christ Jesus? Just as the Israelites exchanged God for an ox, Paul makes it clear that all of mankind has exchanged God for something. Romans 1, God gave them up because they exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshiped and served the creature rather than the Creator. So we, just like the Israelites, we were running headstrong away from God, exchanging Him for His creation. And apart from His steadfast love in Jesus, the Mediator who is better than Phineas, who is better than Moses, apart from Him, we have no hope. But with Him, we know that God has steadfast love for us. Let's pray. God, we stand amazed at Your faithfulness despite our unfaithfulness. You are amazing, God. You are gracious. You have provided a mediator to prove Your steadfast love. Lord, I pray that we would be flabbergasted and that we would, we would rejoice in the salvation that You have given so freely. We pray that You would strengthen us as a church and help us to show the world, tell the world about this mediator You have provided, about this steadfast love that You have for mankind. God, please help us. In Jesus' name, Amen.